Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Today on the program, we have Joanne Shaw Taylor. And I had a chance to talk to Joanne uh, while she's g- getting ready for her upcoming tour that she has. Um, she's, um, we had a great chance to talk about her upcoming music, shows in the Bay Area, a little bit about Harry Potter because, uh, you know, I'm going to be going down south to uh, Universal Studios with my kids and my buddy and his family. Uh, and uh, we're, we're taking my ex-wife's van down south to uh, to Los Angeles, which is, is fun. We were all going to take their, their Subaru originally, uh, but uh, didn't, you know, my daughter wasn't going to come on the trip. And then she changed her tune. She actually told me that, uh, no, I said I wanted to go. I've been saying I wanted to go and you won't let me go. And I'm like, mm, that's not how that conversation worked. Uh, that's not how that went down. You said you were okay with us going without you and you're going to go on a trip with grandma. Uh, but you know, after talking about, my, about it with my buddy Joe and kind of uh, level setting and kind of figuring out yeah, what we should do because there are multiple layers involved in making a change where she's included. There were five seats in the Subaru where we need six if she's uh, if she's going to be joining us. Um, we came to the conclusion that we should bring her and then involves using my ex-wife's van to uh, to drive down. So uh, luckily we're really totally amicable. She's being really cool, uh, her and her husband, by letting us use the van and um, it'll make it fun to have my daughter there. So we're gonna go down to Universal Studios in early April, um, mostly to so our boys have a chance to go to Super Nintendo World um, and get to have the whole Mario experience uh, um, and we're going to do that after seeing the Mario movie. But while we're there, we uh, will likely visit Diagon Alley. Diagon Alley is what it's called, right? <laughs> I'm not a super Harry Potter nerd, but I will tell you, um, I'm showing my son the Harry Potter movies for the first time, and, uh, and he had looked up a video or something with his mom, and he's like, oh, see, at Universal Studios, um, uh, you can choose your uh, own wand. And I said, yes, but uh, remember, the wand chooses the wizard. So uh, I don't know. I got a little giggle out of that. I thought it was was mildly funny. And uh, I don't know that he got the same same laugh out of it, but, you know, moving on. Uh, Looking forward to that. Looking forward to that trip. Looking forward to taking a couple of days away and not having to stress about, you know, the things going on in life and just enjoying time with family and friends. That's uh. That's what it's about. Um, and uh, and so that's going on. Um, we are gearing up towards episode 400. We are two weeks from episode 400 dropping. I'm really excited to share this one. It's, it's hard to not just release it into the wild, but then it wouldn't be the 400th episode. Uh, it is done and in the bags, and it, was, it is with Andrew McMahon of Andrew McMahon of the Wilderness, Jack's Mannequin, uh, and uh, something in corporate fame. Uh, we had a really great chat. Joe, uh, my buddy Joe, joined me uh, as a co-host on that episode, uh, and uh, and we had a lot of fun. So that's going to be coming in two weeks. Uh, have that to look forward to. So uh, lots of fun stuff going on. Uh, it is rainy. It is dreary and rainy. And uh, while I love the rain, and I'm glad to have it, we absolutely need it in California. It's got to go. It, it's time. It's time for it to go. It's spring now, right? So. Time for the rain to move on. Uh, we're going to send the rain away, and uh, and it's time for it to move on. We, uh, I need to get out and practice bike riding outdoors more. Get out with my buddy Joe so we can um, 
practice for a century ride that we have coming up in early May. Uh, and we've only been able to practice twice so far. So we are, we are not ready. It will happen one way or another, but it will be better for us to be prepared, get some hills in and, and some practice rides ahead of us. So that's what I'm hoping to kind of get done in the coming weeks, lots to do. I uh, want to get out fishing and, uh, and outdoors and have a good time with, with that too, but haven't been able to do that. Uh, so lots, lots going on. Training my puppy Navy, uh, working on training her and getting her uh, ready and trained so that she'll be an excellent uh, duck dog for the upcoming duck season in October. Um, like I said, I'm spinning lots of plates, keeping busy, uh, keeping active. Uh, um, all right, so that's kind of what's going on in my life. Won't waste any more time. Um, we're going to go ahead and uh, bring in Joanne Shaw Taylor into the program. Uh, again, really had a really good chat. Uh, she has uh, a recent album that came out called Nobody's Fool, uh, and um, and we had just a really great chat over overall. So let's go ahead and bring Joanne in on the program. Hey, Joanne, how are you doing? I'm good, love. How are you? I'm doing very good. I'm doing very good. You're, uh, so you're just getting over sickness. Are you feeling okay? I'm good. Um, me and my boyfriend both had uh, very bad food and within about 10 minutes realized we had bad food and yeah, fun 24 You knew it pretty hours. quickly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no not going, Thanks for rearranging. Not, oh, for sure. So not going back there, right? So, nope. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I want to kind of start and tell me a little bit about kind of as a kid, what did you listen to? What were your parents playing in the house uh, when, when you were a kid? Yeah. Um, I mean, my love of music really does come from my parents. My dad was a massive blues fan, typical kind of kid that, you know, discovered the Rolling Stones and the British blues boom and all good blues and, and classic rock. And my mom was a big Motown Northern Soul fan. So um grew up with a lot of music in the house. My dad plays guitar and harmonica. Uh, my older brother played guitar too. He's a bit of a shredder, more of the the Ingve Malmsteen school of of guitar playing than I come from. Uh, so just a very musical household, really, and always a, a lot of good music to listen to. So did you did you do any family band stuff or did you play with your your brother at all? Like as you were yeah. growing up? My brother played bass for me very, very early on. And then at one rehearsal, he actually fell asleep whilst playing. Really? So, uh, the decision was made that maybe his heart wasn't in playing bass for his little sister. Didn't have the same passion for it that you did, huh? Uh, love guitar. I've just, yeah. I mean, again, when you're 15 years old, there's probably cooler gigs than playing bass for your little sister. So, um, yeah, that was yeah. short-winded. Yeah, and and so uh, so what were what were you into? I mean, when did you pick up um, instruments yourself? So, um, I got into guitar. I mean, they were always always in the house, and I was always sort of messing with them when no one was looking because they belonged to my dad and my brother. Um, and then when I was eight, you had the option at my primary school to take guitar lessons or to audition for them, which I got into and uh, did really well at. And then had some private lessons with the teacher, and he put me up for the Birmingham Youth Ensemble. So got into classical playing as a young kid, um, which really wasn't my thing, but it did give me the, the confidence that I knew I loved playing guitar and I knew I could do it. And then really the big switch was around 12, 13, I, I wanted to, to be done with that and kind of made an agreement with my parents that look, I've done well at this. So if you let me quit, I will keep playing, but I'll play electric. And shortly after that, I uh, saw a Steve Ray Vaughan video and mind blown. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And were, were there concerts that you went to as a kid that you were like, you're like, that's what I want to do? Yeah, I mean, when I, when I really got into it around the age of 13, I think it's my 13th birthday, I got a little Mexican strap. Um, I was very lucky the area I grew up in, um, the black country, we had a really good blues club called the Robin, which had a lot of <clears throat> uh, Bernard Allison, Luther Allison, John Hammond Jr., the Paladins, you know, really good American touring artists, Eugene Hardaway Bridges that, you know, you wouldn't think in the, the middle of a car park there'd be this little blues hut on the back of a shopping mall in England. Um, so I was very fortunate to, and most weekends my parents would take me over there and we'd, we'd see a band and come home. Yeah. And, and so for you, uh, I mean, I've, I've kind of read a little bit about kind of how you identify with your music. You don't fully identify as just a blues musician, really, right? But but you have a lot of foundation in, in the blues as well. Yeah, I mean, I learned blues. I learned music from a blues standpoint, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. You know, the first things I was exposed to was was blues. And that's how I learned. I taught myself to play guitar. So it's it's kind of a particular feeling, a particular gave me a particular ear, I suppose, for music. But. I always say I'm a blues guitarist, but not a blues artist. You know, I think whatever songs I write don't sound like blues songs, but there's there's a blues guitar solo in there, basically. Um, and yeah. the same feel, I think. Yeah. And and so tell me about when you started getting up on stage and playing shows. What was that like for you? Um, it was brilliant. I mean, I hated school anyway. I was not bad at it or, you know, I was a very average student. I just always hated it for some reason having to be in the same place all day, every day, uh, being told what to do, I think definitely, you know, uh, influenced my wanting to be a musician. Um, so it's great because it, it, you know, I just had this thing that I knew, you know, I wanted to do and, and um, just meeting like-minded people, you know, I mean, all of my school friends had no idea what blues was or that I played guitar. So, you know, to have friends in their forties who are seasoned musicians that, you know, I went and hung out with on the weekends was, uh, an education in its to itself. Yeah, and and how old were you when you went on your first tour? Uh, I started gigging sort of locally and around the UK when I was 14, 15. And then I left school at 16 and that's when I started doing more sort of European tours and stuff. Yeah, and and what were those shows like for you? Did you get a good uh, a good response? Did it really help drive that, you know, that passion for you? Yeah, I mean, looking back, I mean, it's, you've got to be a particularly evil hearted person to not clap a 15 year old girl that's trying her best, you know? Um, yeah. I certainly, you know, wouldn't. Um, so there was a lot of support, which was really nice from the audience. Um, so yeah, I had a wonderful time and, and, and met, you know, uh, just, yeah, it was wonderful. Met a lot of great minded musicians that really, you know, have mentored me and set me on that path. I mean, I loved it from the get go. Yeah. Um, you're on tour right now, right? We start and next week. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you have planned for that tour. Um, so, well, we start with the Joe Bonamassa cruise and then starts in Clearwater, Florida when we get off the boat and we finish in St. Louis. And um, yeah, it's pretty much, I'm very lucky that we've done sort of three albums in the space of about 18 months. So I've got quite a lot of material to draw on. And also what's really interesting for the first time is that I did a very sort of more traditional blues album for me and then did the opposite. So I've got, you know, a good amount of material to cover all bases. Um, so, yeah, it's about a two hour show, lots of obnoxiously loud guitar solos. Um, yeah. A strange British woman talking to you in between is the, the best breakdown of it I can give you probably. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. You like telling stories on stage? 
I do. I've gotten way more comfortable on stage. I used to hate talking. Thank you. That was about it. Good night. Yeah. Um, and then I turned 35 and stopped caring, I think, about what, you know, worrying about what people think. And I, I really love trying to connect with the audience a bit. I mean, I don't talk that much, but it is nice to kind of tell people why you've written these songs and what they're about, what they mean to you. And, you know, so they get a better, a better picture of it, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I thought that was uh, pretty cool, uh, back in like 2012, you you played Buckingham Palace with Annie Lennox. I did. Tell me about that. Um, probably the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my life. There's yeah. big gigs and then there's being involved in a performance for the monarchy, which is, um, I just remember on the day that the security around them was so massive that even like Sir Paul McCartney wasn't allowed to leave. And you think, well, if one of two remaining members of the Beatles don't mean anything, <laughs> then these people definitely are another level of, of power and importance. Um, but yeah, it was it was brilliant and it was nice. You know, it's a nice thing for my family to, to see. And, you know, no matter what I do in my career, generations from now when I'm long in the grave, you know, being able to say, oh, my great aunt performed for the Queen Elizabeth. You know, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So you so you saw the Queen, and you I mean, like the you said Paul was there. To, like, what, yeah. What I mean, it was ridiculous it? in terms of it was Sir Paul McCartney, Sir Elton John, Sir, Sir. Yes, yeah. of course, all all the Sirs. Everybody's everybody's knighted, right? So <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it uh, seems like a bit of a niche crowd. Um, yeah. But yeah, at the end, they walked out, saw the Queen, which was lovely. Now, particularly given you know she's gone to to have had that little part of of history, I suppose. Um, I met Prince Charles. He asked me what part of Australia I was from. I lied yeah. at Adelaide because I didn't want to offend the future king. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was a it was a very bizarre and wonderful evening. That's that's incredible, though. I mean, what a, what an experience, right? So yeah, it's yeah. one of those things that I'm really glad. I'm so thankful Annie asked me to do, but I'm also if it's not mean, I'm quite glad it's over. <laughs> oh no i'm sure there was a lot of anxiety with you like you're like really, really I remember, being in, remember being in the green room and the artists that were sort of the next two on stage were allowed in the green room that was directly on the stage and ed sheeran was in there and at the time he wasn't as big as he is he was you know pretty big but yeah and i remember like looking around at all these sort of sirs and and dames and baronesses or whatever they are and and he's on the other side of the room looking around and then we just eventually like clocked eyes like good luck <laughs> yeah yeah and so did you know annie beforehand and she uh she when she enlisted i did i knew annie through i met dave stewart um from also from eurythmics um when i was 15 and he signed me to my first record deal so i saw annie quite a lot in those days and got to know her quite well um so yeah when she was thinking of doing she decided to do a bluesier version of There Must Be an Angel. And thankfully she just remembered me and, and gave me a phone call. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And and you mentioned Dave. I mean, you have him on your, your new album, Missionary Man, right? So yeah. uh, you, you've maintained a relationship with him pretty well. Yeah, he's always been um, something of a mentor. I was only with him on that label for about a year and a half. Um, but we've he's been there in the background, sort of always been there for me to phone and go, hey, I'm thinking of taking this deal or am I... Do you know this booking agent or, you know, just someone very helpful in the industry? And, um, you know, I think he's proud as well, because, I mean, I signed with him when I was 15 and yeah. didn't work out. And then 20 something years later, I'm asking him to play my album. It's, you know, managed to make it work. So, uh, yeah, I'm very, very thankful for his support. 
Has he given you like musical advice as well in terms of how you uh, make your music? Not too much, but I don't really ask him those sort of things, I suppose. Um, you know, I mean, if I, I would like to write with him at some point, we've kind of messed around with it here and there, but our schedules are so, you know, um, it's hard to hook up. Um, but yeah, I think given that we're such different genres, I, you know, I haven't really too much. Maybe I should. Probably should. Yeah, you should. It's, now's a good time, right? So <laughs> what do you think? How, how should I approach it? You know? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you, a, a couple of years in a row, you won the uh, British Blues Award. Uh, tell me about that experience for, uh, for you. It was wonderful because it was at that time where, you know, after the, the Dave deal went bust for about four or five years, I just kind of lived with my parents and had a bar job and, you know, taught myself how to write songs and try to figure out what I really, really wanted to do. Um, and when I finally did sign a roof, it took off pretty quick and it was just really nice to, after those years of sort of everyone saying it wasn't going to happen, it was nice to, to get to that level where, you know, being recognized. I mean, you don't play for awards, obviously, but no. it was very nice to go like, oh, I'm on the British blues scene. I've got an award. Yeah, um, so yeah it was it was lovely. Did you plan a speech or, uh, for those? Did you have to do oh, that? Or? No, no, I don't. <laughs> I think I'm going to the Blues Awards this year because I'm nominated and I've usually dodged it, um, which is, I hope they know no offense to them. I think it's a wonderful organization. I'm just, I, I, I'm no good on a stage unless I've got a Telecaster to hide behind. So just bring the Telecaster on stage with you. You just, you know, it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll be that separation that you need, right? <laughs> yeah. I was just going to have my best mate, Rachel, go up there if I did. <laughs> That works too. A good, good friend. Yeah, she's a lot more confident than me. <laughs> yeah, have her just give your speech. <laughs> I will be the one person at the table going, "Please don't win! Please don't win! Please don't win!" Yeah, just so you don't have to make the speech. I get it. Yeah, you know? Get nominated, and you don't have to make a speech. Win-win. Look, it's about the music. We just, you know, let's move on, right? Let's keep making great music. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, so you made a blues cover album and tell me your approach with that when you go into, uh, to cover a song, like how do you pay respect to the artist, but kind of make it your own at the same time? Um, well, I think to be honest, you've got to let that be an organic experience. And I'd, I'd always wanted to do a blues covers album and it always been in the back of my mind and I never felt quite ready to do it. I think as a guitar player, I was probably ready, but I always felt as a singer, I couldn't really pull it off. And then when COVID hit, I just couldn't write. There was nothing to write about. You know, I wasn't doing anything for 18 months. So I got yeah. talking to Joe and it seemed like, hey, maybe this is the right time now to do this. I think I'm good enough as a singer. And so the approach to, well, firstly, the songs, half of them I picked, and that was mostly songs that I performed when I was 14, 15, you know, before I started writing just, so um, I want you to love me and uh, stop messing around. Um, but yeah, in terms of how to, play them it was just very organic I mean it was nice to get to the level where you didn't have to think about it you just find the best musicians possible and you go oh this is what it is let's play it and see how it sounds you know and it sort of is just very organic really there was no hey we have to copy this exactly and you know so yeah it was a very organic process really did I mean being as it was kind of during the COVID period did you have to do a lot of zooms and you know and kind of back and forth sending files back and forth that way no, we were able to get together because it was in April 21. So by then, particularly okay. it's a lot of things were, you know, depending on where you were, were, were kind of more open. Um, but yeah, leading up to it, I mean, that's how it came about is that me and Joe were off the road. So every Friday night, we'd sort of have a FaceTime and 
bottle of wine and watch the crown together or whatever we were doing and um just started talking about it so you know if I hadn't have been home and doing that it probably wouldn't have come about yeah and uh and you said joe's your uh like your best friend right so tell me kind of about the advice that he he's given you and uh, as he comes in to produce this album um well particularly on this album i think the main thing joe was pushing for was that he really wanted to push me as a vocalist um so his song selections his and josh's were tended to be more like the ballads like let me down easy which is a big song to sing and I mean even now when I see it on the set list it's like the gig before that song and the relaxed gig after that song <laughs> um so I mean that was the main thing I think the, the bigger thing with working with Joe was just more it's kind of hard to work with someone you know that well it's like working with a family member it's you know I love my dad but I don't want to go watch him work all day and give my input it's uh yeah. I don't want him giving me <laughs> his yeah. Um, so it's really about getting over that hump was the main thing. But I mean, in terms of advice, he's just been the main person to phone, which has been wonderful because of, you know, I'm lucky in that, you know, when we talked about Dave, Dave is a far bigger artist and is part of a, a far different world than I'm used to. Um, whereas it is nice that Joe, who is also a far bigger artist than me, but is a part of the same world and understands what I'm doing very much. So, um, you know, his, his advice is always spot on and, and, you know, very valuable. Yeah. How, how did you see your voice kind of progressing as you uh, as you took that uh, that feedback into account? Uh, well, I mean, at this point in the game, it's really been about trying to protect my voice now, getting to the age where, you know, I can't get three hours sleep and smoke 20 cigarettes and, you know, have a hangover, but still manage to run five miles and do a, a two hour show. You know, when you're in your 20s, you don't realize how superhuman you are. Um, and this is a muscle like anything else. It ages. Yeah. So really at this point, it's just about cleaning it up, taking care of it, resting it, getting the proper technique in and, you know, just looking after it like it is a, a very delicate instrument. Yeah. Um, so Nobody's Fool, your, uh, your most recent album. Tell me, uh, tell me kind of, you had, like you said, you, uh, you had a lot of time in COVID to kind of write. I mean, was this all kind of part of the same sessions with Nobody's Fool or did you kind no. of them? I wrote this last summer. I think I wrote it in May. I had a few weeks off in May and then we recorded it in June or July. So it's quite a quick one. Yeah. Um, but it was really good fun. It was the first time I'd sat down to write. I tried to write in COVID, couldn't. So really it was the first time I'd done an original album since Reckless Heart in 2018. And what was really nice about this was I think a lot of blues artists or people who are labeled blues artists do feel a certain pressure to conform to the limits of that genre, you know, yeah. um, and I think what was nice for me was because I'd done the blues album and then the blues album live. And it was the first time I'd done the most traditional blues albums of my career. When I sat down to write this, it was kind of like, I can kind of do whatever I want and kind of sneak it out. Um, so that's what I did really. And I had a really fun time just trying to write things that I never would have written um, and just find the poppiest choruses and the catchiest melodies and the, you know, so it was a really good kind of fun experiment for me to see, uh, you know, how I can combine all this to write different songs, I suppose. Yeah. Was there music that you listened to kind of going in to kind of get yourself in a mode and kind of set a certain feel with the album? I was listening to quite a lot of pop stuff. I was listening to a lot of the Harry Styles new album, Harry's House. Um, what else was I listening to? I was listening to, I'd just gotten into the 1975, which is a, a band I really... Loving their melodies and feel like I really enjoy. 
Um, so it was a lot of that sort of more adult pop, I suppose, I was listening to. Um, not sure if that influenced it or not. I'm not yeah. very good at telling what my music sounds like, to be honest. It just sounds like me, so to me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a bunch of songs that didn't make the cut for Nobody's Fool that are kind of, you're, you're already thinking that next step ahead or you just take Yeah, there's actually, it was quite a productive writing session for me. So I've got about another six ideas that it wasn't that they didn't make the cut. I just didn't have time to finish them. And we already had an album's worth of material. So it was like, okay. Um, so yeah, I think this next album will be a bit of a continuation of that. But it, I think it'll be fun to go from like the Blues album, the Blues album live, Nobody's Fool, and then an album that's sort of Nobody's Fool back into you know, uh, I think that's what I'm kind of looking at right now. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. Where Where do you go to write? Like, what is, do you have a spot that you kind of really can connect with? Is it at home that you're, or do you find yourself able to get there on tour? No, I've never written on tour though. I'm going to try to this time just because of schedule. Um, but yeah, usually I'm just at home. I've got a place still in Michigan. I've got a big desk. It's got lots of Harry Potter Funko Pop toys on it. Um, yes. and just all my nerdy bits and that's like my little happy zone yeah you're a big harry potter fan i'm a massive harry potter fan i'm showing my son the harry and we're going through them right now for the first I time actually oh, I, I didn't i saw the fucking wizard part and i didn't see the harry part over your shoulder so it all comes full circle i, I like it yeah yeah we're, we're going through the yeah, we're watching all of them. My son's nine, and and okay. so we're we're watching all of them. I'm taking him down to Universal Studios next month. Um, you know, on spring break, and I'll be there uh, on March 18th. <laughs> you will? Okay, yeah. a couple weeks, couple weeks before us. You're you're a little early, but you're going to you're going to do the whole Wizarding World and everything. It will be my seventh time. You will. What do you What do you recommend? What do you recommend? So he's nine. I mean, the thing that I love about it is because um, he's is he into roller coasters. He's so scared of stuff, anything that's, <laughs> he's scared of anything, yeah. What I would recommend if he if you could, he can be brave enough to do it is the ride that's in the Hogwarts castle. It's not a roller coaster. It's a, it's like a conveyor belt and there's four seats and you jump on it and then it's a 3D ride. So you do okay. get moved around a bit, but really you're just this in a cart. Um, but like, it feels like you're playing Quidditch and like trying to beat the dragon and then you fly through the hall and all around the, the grounds and there's one scary part where you're in the Forbidden Forest and a big spider, you know, but it's, he can close his eyes for that bit, but that's definitely worth yeah. doing. You feel like you're playing Quidditch. Um, and then just the Hogsmeade thing, you know, and the Hogwarts Express is like a little, take the train to the other park, to Diagon Alley and all the Dementors yeah. in the windows and stuff. So there's definitely stuff for him to do that's not violently shaking roller coasters. Okay, that'll be good. He's excited to get a wand. He's like, I can. I saw a video. I can choose a wand. I'm like, well, remember, the, the wand chooses the wizard. So, <laughs> I'm curious how he gets on with the films because my niece is watching them. She's 11, but she's had to stop it around Order of the Phoenix. It got a bit too dark mm. for her. Yeah, I don't. I've watched some. I haven't. You know, I'm not a super Harry Potter fan, so I didn't like watch all of them. I watched them with my ex-wife, you know, here and there when they made sense, but. <laughs> Uh, but we watched some so but we're really going down for Super Mario Land uh, with my buddy oh, okay. and his fa family so he'll, he'll do that but but I figure while we're there you know we can you know get there so yeah so we're getting as far as we can through the Harry Potter ones but I'll I'll, uh, I'll start looking at the ratings and see <laughs> well you know I don't want them to be traumatized and, uh, yeah I mean there's nothing you know it's just they get a bit darker yeah 
yeah. you forget when you're nine years old that you know spiders are dark <laughs> the, yes the lord yes. You... Can be a bit scary uh, he can be a little intense yeah you like the books too i'm imagining then right so yeah well i mean that's how i started um which is giving me a massive love for reading um regardless of her recent statements i do thank jk Rowling for that um because i was 11 when the first book came out so then i was 12 yeah. he was 12 and 13 when he was 13 and so it was a prime target age um you know and you forget people at that time kids weren't reading books you know everyone was talking about yeah. the death of literature and you know really inspired a lot of kids to read so yeah i do i love the books yeah she's jk rowling has turned a, a different corner in recent years but i mean there's no denying you know her impact right yeah i think we're at the point in society where you you're just gonna have to accept you can like the art and not the artists sometimes else <laughs> you're gonna be left with nothing that you enjoy listening or reading or watching um but yeah I actually had an argument with Jake Kishka from Greta Van Fleet the other night because he's a Lord of the Rings fan. Yeah. Like, so much better. Like, Shut up. Mm. No, no. Oh, <laughs> oh debate, the big debate, right? Which is which is better. So, yeah. Yep. That's great. Well, so you're you're on tour. You're going to hit the West Coast and, uh, and in San Francisco play the Palace of Fine Arts. Have you played San Francisco before? Once, years ago, um, I played a blues club that was in a Chinese restaurant. Okay, I'm trying to um, know if I know the name, but <laughs> it was a strange gig. The owner hated me. He kept stopping me every three minutes and screaming I was too loud to the point where, which I wasn't, which to the point where the audience started shouting at him. Yeah. Um, and then I haven't been back to San Francisco since. So You're like, not, this is how the whole city is. I'm not coming back. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to my big entrance and uh, coming back and not being told I'm too loud. It shouldn't you shouldn't have the same experience, I would imagine. So that, that that's good. I did, yeah. Palace of Fine Arts is nice though. That's a good good place to to play. I mean, it's it's a good area too. So you'll oh, nice. you'll have fun around there. It's good. Are, are there spots on the tour that you're really looking forward to? There's a lot on this tour actually, because again, this one is one where either places I've never been to or haven't been to for a while. So um, San Fran, LA. Um, I've been to Seattle for years. Always love playing Austin, Texas. Um, you know, the Stevie Link. Um, so yeah, there's quite a few little spots that I'm kind of looking forward to seeing and checking out. Yeah. You you a big barbecue fan? No. Oh, okay, okay. Missing <laughs> out on the on some of the joys of Austin then. That's <laughs> the one thing as a blues artist, everyone assumes you're a fan of barbecue because there's so many barbecue and blues festivals, and it just I don't maybe I'm too European to eat a whole plate of meat whatever <laughs> weird sweet sauces you put on it but yeah no it's again it's not for it's not for everyone that's okay you know so there's lots of other good food there and uh, you'll be fine so um yeah so after the tour what do, what is uh what does the rest of your year look like as we look ahead uh we're going back into the studio in april may and then i'm going back to europe for a few weeks um we're doing a bunch of like uh, festivals in italy and, and the uk and holland um, hopefully get a couple of weeks in the UK to catch up with family and then um, then back into the usual late you know early fall touring schedule and then it's Christmas yeah and you're right there and and so when you're catching up with family like what do you like to do to relax and kind of get out of the zone of you know the grind of uh, writing recording right uh, touring that sort of thing mm -hmm. um, well I love being in London with my dad you know I, I love London I love going to the art galleries or we'll go to a 
Casco concert, St. Martin's or something and, you know, dinner and have that sort of city vibe. And then it is nice. I've got some dear friends that live out in the countryside in Warwickshire on a big farm with alpacas and pigs and just kind of go chill there. And then they live right near to my brother and uh, my niece and nephew. So it's always nice to go spend time with them and, you know, watch whatever they tell me to watch. Oscars 9 is obsessed with Top Gun. So that's probably going to have to get watched again. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the yeah. usual family kind of stuff. Just relax and catch up with people yeah. that I love. Yeah. Well, last question for you as we wind out. What's what's a really positive memory you have of uh, a moment on tour? Harry Potter World. That's it. There you go. <laughs> getting, getting there and getting after that. You did that on while you were on tour, huh? You I, were able to I, I do it every year. If we were down in Florida, we always plan a day to go. Um, but not all of it, you know, meeting people that a song meant something to them or got them over a breakup or got them over, you know, helped them grieve the loss of a parent or that is, you know, why you do this. It's just wonderful that I wrote those songs to help me with my stuff. It's like free therapy. But, but the idea that other people are getting something out of it is really lovely. So, yeah, yeah, that impact on, on others as well. And that's it's really great. Well, I hope you enjoy Harry Potter world here in uh, in a couple of weeks and uh, in the West Coast, the San Francisco show, all of all of the good stuff. So. All right. Um, thank you. Love. Yeah. Well, Joan, thanks. For, thanks for taking the time and have a have a great rest of your day ahead. OK, thank you. Love you, too. Nice talking to you, mate. Nice talking to you. All right. Bye. Bye. That was the interview with Joanne Shaw-Taylor, and that takes us to the final segment on the program, the music news. All right, I have a couple of stories to wind out the program with music news, um, starting with some, some classic rock artists here. Uh, Stevie Nicks and Billy Joel duetted uh, as the co-headlining tour began. Um, so their, their co-headlining tour began in Inglewood, California um, on March 10th. Uh, and uh, she uh, it's a joint tour dubbed Two Icons One Night. It's going to encompass seven shows between March and September. That's a, that's a wide span. That's not, a, that's not really a tour that's a, we'll play shows here and there sort of thing. Um, and so the, the Fleetwood Mac member recently announced headline dates to fill in the gaps between those shows, kicking off uh, next week in Seattle. Um, at the Englewood show, Nick set was joined by Joel for a rendition of Stop Dragging My Heart Around uh, before she then hopped up on stage with Joel during his set to lend vocals to a rendition, and so it goes. So they're each playing in each other's set, which is really, really awesome. Um, I've never seen Stevie Nicks play uh, live in her own set, but I did see her uh, with Tom Petty in 2006, and she came out and did five songs uh, during his uh, show at the Greek Theater, and that was that was awesome. It was just it was incredible. I'd love to see her live again sometime, and uh, and that would be super cool. Um, Nikki uh, Stevie Nicks also paid an emotional tribute to her late Fleetwood Mac bandmate Christine McVie. Uh, and before performing Landslide, Nix told the crowd of McVie, uh, I have to imagine she's still here. It's all I can do while tearing up. Um, they had their challenges in the past, of course, but they're, they're family and, uh, and part of this legacy that Fleetwood Mac is, you know, um, is leaving behind, right? Uh, so um, there's, of course, video of the songs. Um, you can try and find those on YouTube. Um, and... 
Uh, let's see here. She's uh, she was announced alongside Brandy Carlisle, Paul McCartney, and Steven Tyler as a feature artist on Dolly Parton's upcoming um, album Rockstar, and uh, and so that's coming together. Nix is joined on the album's guest list by Cher, Pink, and Steve Perry, of, uh, formerly of Journey fame. Uh, so Stevie Nicks has a lot going on, uh, uh, ultimately, right? Um, okay, so here's an interesting one. Shakira, uh, uh, she celebrated 14 Guinness World Record wins with, uh, with the Fallon performance. Uh, so she has a new song called Berserk Music Sessions Volume 53, uh, and she brought it to Fallon's show. Uh, and so I had to I had to look into this because I was really curious about how does one obtain 14 Guinness Book World Records with a song? Uh, and um, so she performed the song on Fallon alongside Argentinian producer and DJ uh, Bizarre Rap. Um, there's video of that, of course, online. Uh, and so she went on to reveal that her son even sent a voice note to her manager to set up the collaboration. And so the, the 14 world records, I, I listened to the song uh, beforehand, before recording this podcast right now, and it's fine. She has a great voice. The song didn't really do anything for me. So I don't know. I, I don't get the draw to it. That's just me personally. But um, but I know I'm not uh, the only person out there. And a lot of people obviously are, are into it. So uh, it's the most streamed Latin track on Spotify in 24 hours with over 14 million. Uh, the most viewed Latin track on YouTube in 24 hours with over 63 million. Um, the fastest Latin track to uh, reach 100 million views on YouTube in two days in approximately 22 hours, just under th uh, three days, and the most streamed Latin track on Spotify in one week with uh, 80 million uh, uh, streams, I guess. Um, there's a whole list of other uh, records that she broke with this song. First female vocalist to debut in the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100 with a Spanish language track. Uh, most number ones on the Billboard uh, Latin Airplay chart by a female artist, uh, first female artist to replace herself at number one on Billboard's Latin Airplay chart. So a lot of it is Latin ties to the Latin, you know, song that she is uh, she is doing and the, how groundbreaking it is. So that's exciting. And in International Women's Month, you know, uh, who better to kind of receive that those accolades, you know, and I want to just tie in also that Concert Pipeline is also observing International Women's Month through by having Joanne Shaw Taylor on the program this week. We have um, a female artist next week uh, as well um, from a band called Megafauna. Um, so, so that's going to be coming uh, next next week. So that's that's kind of how we're celebrating International Women's Month. Uh, so you're taking part. All right, a couple more stories before we wind up the program. Uh, the Cure have announced a 2023 tour across North America. Um, the band will kick off the 30-date live tour uh, at Smoothie King Center in New Orleans on May 10th. Uh, lots of stops along the way. Uh, and uh, it, it, the run also includes three consecutive dates at both LA's Hollywood Bowl and New York's Madison Square Garden. Um, and so they're going to be playing San Francisco at Shoreline Amphitheater on May 27th. Um, and so they were, they're excited about the tour. Uh, the, it's called the uh, Hashtag Shows of the Lost World 23 tour. And tickets are probably available now. So you can check that out if you're a fan of The Cure. I saw them at Bottle Rock a 
a number of years ago, I think. Uh, and they were, they were pretty good. I mean, I'm not a super big Cure fan, but but it was uh, an entertaining show from what I remember. So um, check it out. Okay, this is a fun one because I can comment on this. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, notably not a musician, uh, has called for matinee concerts. I want to hear Coldplay at 1 p.m., she says. Um, she's advocated for earlier concerts, asking why bands don't put on matinee shows. Uh, and she was speaking on the red carpet at the Independent Spirit Awards uh, when she told The Hollywood Reporter that she declined her invite to an Oscars nominee dinner because she'd rather go to bed early. Why? Because mommies go to bed early, the actor said. Because 7.30 is going to be 9 before we get food. And you know what? There's nothing good happening with me after 9 o'clock. Nothing. Zero. Uh, she said, uh, I'm going to uh, just say this uh, now as a taunt and as a suggestion. You two, do a matinee. Coldplay, do a matinee. What about a 12 noon concert, Coldplay? What about it? Bruce Springsteen, do a fucking matinee. You're old. Why wouldn't you let me come see you, Bruce Springsteen, in your glory days, pun intended, and do, uh, do it at noon or one o'clock, two o'clock, two o'clock matinee. Two, theater in New York, two o'clock. Uh, I will come and hear your five-hour concert, Bruce, at two o'clock, and I'm going to be home in bed by 7.30. Nice. Jamie Lee Curtis has some spunk still. As the, she says mom. She's a mom. I'm sure she's a grandmother by now, So, <laughs> uh, but she's got some spunk. And I will say as well, as someone who doesn't get out to many concerts anymore, it is freaking tough. I do a concert podcast and I'm not not at the concerts that often, which is a, a bummer. Uh, I I just wish I could sometimes and it's always there's always kid conflicts and I'm tired and I don't want to drive home afterwards and I can I can feel that. I think the 12 or one o'clock shows are a little early, but I can definitely get down with a six or seven p.m. show and be home in bed by 10. I am in, right? Uh, cut one or two openers, two openers on the stretch on the stretch, you know, would uh, would be would be perfect. I can't do the shows that go until one or two a.m. anymore. Uh, that's that is not my jam. Unless it's bands that I'm super into, uh, it is not happening. So, Jamie Lee Curtis, I'll meet you halfway. Um, okay. So, last story of the program uh, is Outside Lands. Uh, Outside Lands has announced their lineup for this year, uh, which takes place uh, at Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, August 11th to 13th. I have never been to an Outside Lands Festival, even though it's probably an hour and a half away from me uh, um, or so. Parking, I'm sure, is a bitch. It's insane. It's nuts. Lineup has never been super attractive to me, and I've always liked Bottle Rock better. Uh, it was in my backyard when I lived in Napa and, uh, and had bands that were way more up my alley. Well, not this time. I'm skipping Bottle Rock. I'm going to Outside Lands for one day, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know what the individual lineup is for the days yet, but one band struck out to me, and that is the Foo Fighters. Uh, they are playing Outside Lands 2023, which is awesome. They've been releasing dates, uh, you know, uh, sporadically with festivals and, uh, and headline dates mixed in. Um, love me some Foo Fighters, and would love to see them again with their new drummer, which has not been announced. Um, I have an inkling of who it might be, uh, but I'm not going to speculate on the, this podcast. Um, other headliners include Kendrick Lamar, Odessa, uh, Lena Del Rey, the 1975, Megan Thee Stallion, Zed, Janelle Monae, uh, Maggie Rogers, and Fisher. Uh, the some other bands that of interest to me that I would be interested in checking out um, Interpol, Father John Misty, uh, Diesel. That's Shaquille O'Neal's band. 
That's see, I'm really into those uh, this, those uh, acts that are um, that are novelty acts. I guess is a way to put it, right? Uh, Shaquille O'Neal did a uh, an album 30 years ago with uh, a group called Diesel, and they're going to be at Outside Lands, and hopefully the same day as the Who Fighters. So if uh, hopefully that can be uh, that can happen. Um, there's a number of other artists that are are listed. We're not going to go through the whole list, uh, but um, I'm, I'm going to wait for the single day lineup to be announced, determine which uh, day the Foo Fighters are going, and then obtain a ticket to uh, that date, hopefully. Uh, so that is my plan. Uh, Dave, look forward to seeing you and the guys again rocking out. Uh, and the, the tribute that you pay, I'm sure, to Taylor. Um, I mean, it's going to be amazing. So, uh, so really, really good times. Um, okay. That is our show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Um, as I said, next week on the program, we have an interview with a band called Megafauna. Uh, you'll get to check that out. Then number 400 will be uh, dropping on uh, March 27th, I believe, uh, uh, with Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness, uh, just one day before his album um, uh, is released. Um, so have that to look forward to. That is our show. Thanks for tuning in. For all of us here at Concert Pipeline, I'm Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time.